BetMGM is pitching baseball fans a chance to swing for the fences. Register using code CAPITAL200 and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 money line wager on any Major League Baseball game and either team hits a home run, regardless of your bet's outcome. Enjoy baseball like never before with BetMGM's daily promotions at your fingertips all season long. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the King of Sportsbooks. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. Today's show is an interview with guest Tom King. Tom is a self-confessed serial entrepreneur, and he's a self-educated food scientist. And I got to tell you, we just got off the call, and I had a great conversation with Tom. I'm very impressed with his knowledge on these things. He really knows what he's talking about, and it really is hard to find people who know what they're talking about in nutrition these days. Um, His products, it's very obvious that he cares a lot about helping people. Integrity is a big word, and he exemplifies integrity. Um, He talks about how he thinks about entrepreneurship and how he thinks about his business, and I can see that his whole passion is in it, and he really cares about helping people with his products and he's really educating himself to make sure he knows that he's he building something good for his life and his health and that he can very proud to share with other people to help them live a healthy lifestyle. Um, I just learned so much from it and I know there's so much you can learn, a lot of leads in here and then you'll be encouraged to want to educate yourself more after you hear a lot about this. So I can't recommend this enough. Um, I just hope you guys enjoy it. I'll see you guys on the other side of it. Hi, everybody. Welcome now to our interview. I'm joined by Tom King, part CEO, part personal development wonk, and part biohacker info geek. Tom King is a self-confessed serial entrepreneur. While his favorite book list contains many success-oriented and personal development classics, the tradition, uh, traditional definition of achieving success, for example, make a lot of money, is not what inspires or motivates King. He follows more of a, you aren't doing well unless you're also doing some good line of thinking. King's company has been built around the simple principle of do the right thing. In 1999, Tom's personal passion for food and his concern over the explosion of metabolic disease led him to found Staviva Brands, now known as Icon Foods, with a mission to stem the tide of diabetes by providing consumers healthy alternatives to sugar. In recent years, his passion for food and optimal health have intersected with his embrace of a ketogenic, low-carb, high-fat diet. Tom's latest project is a line of ketogenic condiments intended to help more people successfully adopt a healthier lifestyle. Based on the understanding that it's only by determining the why of what you want to do that you can achieve lasting success, King's business isn't simply something he does for a living. It stands as a testament to who he is, what he does, and how he lives his life. Tom, thanks very much for joining us here. Matthew, I appreciate it. That was a really great uh, introduction. I hope I, I can live up to it. I'm sure you will. Uh, well, maybe you can start us off with a brief history. How, how did you? What led you to the work you're doing, the lifestyle that you embody, and want to share with people? Yeah, that was. A, it's been an interesting journey. I can I can absolutely assure you that. Um, I, I the way I got into sweeteners is, is is super interesting. I was actually living in Arizona at the time and uh, working for a radio station. And I ran into a gentleman whose name was Jim May, and he had just come back from Paraguay. And he had like a bunch of different herbs and things that, you know, that he brought back that had sort of medicinal qualities. And he cracked open this jar of green paste and he said, hey, you should try this. And I tried it and I was blown away. I was like, what is this? It's super sweet. Um, you know, and he's like, it's stevia leaves that have been ground down into a, into a paste. And it was about 25 times sweeter than sugar, but it didn't have any like 
calories, didn't have any carbs, didn't have any kind of impact on blood sugar. And so that's when the wheels started turning. I was like, you know, I wonder if there'd be a way that, you know, somebody could naturally extract those sweet constituents out of this leaf and, you know, and have something that could be a competitor to NutraSweet. Because at the time, the FDA had just approved aspartame, which is, which is, its trade name is NutraSweet. They had just approved aspartame as, as a sweetener. And I thought, you know, that's sort of better living through chemistry, but, you know, using a stevia extract might be an actual natural, a natural sweetener, sweetener, sugar, sugar substitute. So that was when the journey started and, and that was just the beginning. So the wheels were turning and then that's when the hard work started. So it was like my side hustle for almost eight years while I found a way to, um, you know, a way to extract those sweet constituents out of the leaves using just like a hot water process. And then I had to find a, an actual manufacturer who would be willing to do it. So flat, flash forward eight years and, you know, I finally started getting product into the United States and then the FDA threw this massive moratorium on, on stevia um, and kind of stopped it, but we were still able to sell it as like a dietary supplement, um, until night, until 2008, when like this mega food company called Cargill, um, influenced the FDA to approve Stevia as a, um, as a food additive. And at that point, then my business started to take off and, you know, and now, now I'm here. All right. Well, that's great. So how did it even come that, that sugar, uh, sugar removal was a, was a focus for you. How did sugar become enemy number one for you? Like it occurred to you, like this doesn't have sugar. Where did you even get sugar? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, so I was, I'd been, I would say I battled with weight like most of my life. Like when I was a little kid, I was skinny and then I ended up eating like a lot of crap, like a lot of spaghetti, you know, by the time I got into college, I had a sugar addiction that was, um, by most people's standards, obscene. Um, I used to take a can of Pepsi and drink a little bit of it out and then empty a can of M&Ms into it because it wasn't quite sweet enough. So um, oh, I had a hardcore. really it was, it was, and when people know that about me now, they're like, shut up. That's not true. And I'm like, there's things that you don't know about me. And one of them was my sugar addiction. So I had a really, really terrible sugar addiction, which led to like headaches. It led to, you know, uh, low energy in the afternoon because I had to have another hit of sugar. And, it, you know, it was, it was an addiction. And, um, you know, I started getting interested in sugar reduction at that point because it's like my body is just, you know, I was in my 20s and my body was just like, crapping out on me, you know, I was like overweight and then I would get skinny and then I'd get overweight. And, you know, I started narrowing it down to, you know, how much sugar I was consuming. And at that point, that's when my journey began of like, okay, how can I find ways to not eat sugar? Excellent. All right. So yeah, and I, I've got that all you said about being fatigued in the afternoon. I've been in all these places too, and I've kind of been out of it for a couple of years. Sugar, I kind of really caught on to sugar and just metabolic nutrition in general, uh, more hormonal theory and that type of stuff. Um, that's really helped me a lot. I'd be better off. Um, I wonder what is a diabesity to you? What, what you, it's a term, a term you've coined, is it? Uh, what do you say? Diabesity? What is that? Diabesity. So, I mean, that's like, that's a term that I use pretty often. And that's basically like a self-inflicted disease. So it's, it's self-inflicted combination of obesity and diabetes. And so, I mean, when you look at, when you look at, like right now we're suffering with a pandemic, right? And this is, this pandemic is pretty obvious, but I think that once we're through this, I think people are going to have an awareness that there's another pandemic that we're looking at on a global, global basis. And that is the pandemic of people being overweight, um, you know, because it's too many sugars, too many carbs, um, you know, and I think that that, that is diabetes. And I think that that is going to be the next pandemic that we're going to have to take a look at carrying. Yeah, I've already on board the idea that this is this is the pandemic we ought to be worried about. I mean, I know we are dealing with something right now, but I'm 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 already looking there with you. Um, I see it as a big as the biggest problem facing us. 
Well, I, I health-wise, also think that, health-wise, certainly. Yeah, I I also think that this metabolic, like a metabolic syndrome, is is that underlying condition that determines mortality when somebody does get, you know, when somebody contracts COVID nineteen. Because when you look at like what how how COVID nineteen ends up killing somebody, um, you know, it's not actual COVID nineteen that ends up killing you; it's your body that ends up killing you because it there's it, it creates this thing called a cytokine storm, and so cytokines are proteins that actually can help you. You know, they'll surround um, you know an invading virus in your body and it produces mucus and it protects that area of your body. But what happens during a cytokine storm is that it it overreacts. And so having cytokine storms is a function of uh, of metabolic disease. So if you're, you know, if you if you have type 2 diabetes, if you're obese, you know, if you have any kind of metabolic condition like that, it really, really increases your chances of mortality. Um, you know, if and when you get COVID-19. Right. I think, yeah, okay. That all makes sense to me. Um, I wonder, how did you get educated about nutrition in general? Once you started thinking about that and you said, I really got to focus on this, I'm kind of narrowing it down, getting on the scent. How did you start to educate yourself or how did you? Yeah, that was, I mean, because my background is actually, um, is marketing and intellectual property law. So I don't have like a, a, you know, I would say degrees in science and stuff like that. Um, The thing that got me interested in it was just, you know, how my body was being affected by it. And then I became the sponge. So I have like, I guess you could say it's an obsession with learning. Like if I find something that I'm curious about, I can't stop. I cannot stop exploring it and reading it and, and immersing myself into, into that particular subject until I feel like I, I'm sort of adequately educated in it. So that's what happened with nutrition. You know, I got into, you know, studying nutrition, studying, you know, like herbs and how various herbs and adaptogenic compounds can affect the body. And it's just, and it's still a daily thing for me because, you know, now, I'm, you know, I'm actually a food scientist and I really, you know, I need to know these things like how sugars react with proteins and, you know, how make things taste delicious. So these are all things that I'm obsessed with, but I didn't go to school for it. I mean, I guess you could say that I went to school, but it, most of it was sort of autodidactic, like researching on the internet, um, reading books and constantly putting things into practice. And, you know, I think that's where we can get a lot of the best education now anyways. There's a lot of great information out there. So I, I'm down with that all the way. Um, you, you see, you, you call yourself, I guess, you say you follow keto, a keto lifestyle. How mm-hmm. is ketogenic different from paleo or how do you think about what is ketogenic? Because it people, means a lot of different things to people. So how is that different from other high car, uh, low carb, high fat, et cetera? Yeah, that's that's also a good question. So, I mean, <clears throat> a ketogenic diet or a ketogenic lifestyle would be an indicator that you are, um, you know, that you your body is in a particular state of ketosis, um, and that when you're in a particular state of ketosis, it's when your body's burning ketones instead of like instead of glucose. Um, and so the way that ketones are produced is by the your liver actually metabolizing fats into ketones. And so your liver is actually only going to metabolize fats when it's out of carbs and when it's out of glucose and when it's out of when it's out of fructose. So in in the basic I would say the basic fundamentals behind a ketogenic diet, it's 70% fat, 20% proteins and 10% carbs. And those carbs are not high glycemic carbs, meaning sugary carbs or starchy carbs like uh, like breads and pastas. But those 10% carbs come from like um, leafy greens, uh, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower. Um, basically, if it grows above the ground, um, mm-hmm. it's probably, you know, probably something that you can eat. If it grows below the ground, it's going to tend to be a little more on the high glycemic side. Um, a paleo diet, a paleo diet is just, I would say it has similarities to, um, uh, to a keto diet because a lot of people that, you know, follow paleo will be in a state of, of, of ketosis. Um, I would say that it's low carb, but the carbs that you bring into it 
are, you know, are going to be like sweet potatoes and, you know, and things like that, that I generally will only eat maybe once a month when I'm cycling out of, uh, out of keto. Okay. All right. Then thanks for that clarification. It's a little technical, but I, I, you need to know these things. People need to know. Um, what is uh, keto's sweet plus and how is that oh. beneficial? That's a really good question. I so Keto Sweet Plus is actually a, a sweetener that we that we developed, and what the major uh, I would say compound that's in it is allulose. And so allulose is a rare sugar that is actually made from uh, you know from an en- enzymatic process of introducing a particular bacteria to um, to like a glucose syrup. And then the metabolite, which is basically when you think of, you know, when you think of a fermentation process, the metabolite is what, I guess the, the basic way that you could describe it is the metabolites like the poop from, that comes from the bacteria. Um, but in this particular case, th- these bacteria eat the, uh, eat the glucose and what comes out, the metabolite is going to be allulose. And so allulose exists in nature. Um, it's a saccharide, which means it is a sugar, but your body doesn't metabolize it. And the interesting about, and an interesting thing that, that I find about, um, about allulose is that it'll actually lower your blood sugar and increase, um, increase your ketones. So it's this sort of miraculous sugar that, you know, you can have if you're on a keto diet. And so the keto sweet plus and it's because allulose is only about 70% of Swedish sugar. So the keto sweet plus we add a little bit of monk fruit extract, which is super sweet and a little bit of stevia, which is super sweet. And the reason that we combine the monk fruit and the stevia is that when you combine them, they have these masking properties that mask off each of their off notes because some people are like, Oh, I don't like stevia. It tastes like licorice. Um, and other people are like, oh, I don't like monk fruit because it tastes like, um, you know, it's reminiscent of like a melon rind and I don't like it. But when you combine the two, they really mask those off and it gives it a sort of a neutral flavor. So the Keto Sweet Plus is just neutral. At Dunkin', we're getting ready for sunnier days with our Sunrise Batch Iced Coffee. A bright and balanced iced coffee with notes of cocoa, tangy sweetness and toasted nuts. Made to brighten every day a little more. Soak in the sunshine a little more and fill every moment with a little more, more. Because we aren't just chasing sunsets anymore. We're counting sunrises too. Do more with Dunkin' Sunrise Batch Iced Coffee. Brewed for brighter days. Enjoy a medium for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. And sweet and you can add it to any beverage, smoothies, anything. All right. Keto sweet. All right. Keto sweet plus, is it? Keto Sweet Plus. Keto Sweet Plus, excellent. So uh, why are food labels so confusing to people anyway? Uh, and what are some common mistakes people make when they're reading and choosing products? And how has the FDA confounded this issue? If, if you can unpa- put that all together, if you wanted to go one at a time. I can put that all together. I would say that the FDA has not necessarily addressed all of these issues. Um, okay. They're starting to. Okay, so I have hope for it because the, the new FDA level, label guidelines um, – food companies have to report added sugars. And so if you have a compound that you're adding or an ingredient that you're adding to your formula that is a sugar, it's going to show up. And I would say that the, the most confusing thing is how, is how sugars can be labeled and how different compounds can be labeled. Like I find one all of the time that is like um, a vegetable fiber. Okay, so a liquid vegetable fiber. So a liquid vegetable fiber is actually called IMO, which is also uh, isomaltoaldehyde. So I know that sounds super complicated, but it's just it's the it's basically the sugar that's been derived from you know from processing vegetables. And so that's one that people be like, oh, it's safe because it's fiber and it comes from vegetables, but it's not because after your stomach metabolizes it, converts it to a simple sugar. So it can have a metabolic effect on you. So those are the things you, you need to look out for is disguised sugar, you know, like um, cane, you know, like cane juice or organic cane extract, you know, it, all of these different things. So it's like educate yourself, you know, read the labels. If it ends in O-S-E, it's a sugar. Okay. So stay away from those. 
All right. Um, how, how does exercise fit into your lifestyle as well? So we talk a lot about diet and I'm a big diet is key guy, but yet exercise. How about you? How do you think about it? Well, I mean, I believe in the philosophy that, you know, weight loss or fitness or, or being healthy, let's say being healthy is 80% of what you eat and 20% of what you do. And so, I mean, I never miss a day of working out. So it's, I have a morning routine that I have and I, I practice it religiously. And I would have to say it's probably my religion. Um, so I get up pretty early in the morning. I usually have a cup of coffee. Um, you know, I'm fasting this week, so I'm not having any food, but mm -hmm. I still will work out. Like I'll still, you know, like I usually do bike and rowing and running, uh, working out with weights, um, doing plenty of like sit-ups and crunches and things like that. Um, I try to practice yoga. So I do a lot of things that incorporate fitness, but also things that, that incorporate balance and flexibility. Um, because I really feel like, you know, now that I'm over 50, um, that I, you know, that I need to incorporate. Looking good, Tom. Looking great, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, that I need to incorporate more flexibility. And I really started getting into yoga because I started thinking, well, you know, as you have a flexible body, you also have a flexible mind. So it helps you become sort of more re resilient. Um, but before I even start my workout, I journal. So I spend at least a half hour to 40 minutes journaling a full eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And that's how, you know, I sort of map out, you know, how I'm going to make my day a masterpiece. You know, what are the things I want to ma manifest? Um, what are the things I'm grateful for? Because, you know, you can't really negativity and gratitude can't sort of exist in the same place. Um, so I try to fill my mind with, you know, a lot of gratitude. So, you know, I know what I'm fortunate and lucky to have. Um, and then I just use a lot of breathing exercises to sort of breathe in like affirmations, things that I want to attract to myself, things that I want to let go of, you know, like I want to let go of, of you know, issues. Like most of the things I want to let go of is fear, you know, like fear I think is uh, debilitating. And I also think it's a future-based future thinking. So I use that um journaling method to really drill into letting go of fear and anxiety and, you know, um, and that, that seems to really set the stage for my day. Wow. All right. Well, there's all kinds in there. I'm trying to keep it all together as it's going <laughs> through my mind, uh, but I, I'll try to hit the few points that occurred to me there where one okay. is 80, 20, I'm somewhere on 80, 80, 20, something in that camp. Uh, I'm definitely big on diet is the key. Um, mm -hmm. I exercise very little relative to what I used to. And I, and I love, I'm active every day and I love sports yeah. and everything. But I, as far as really getting down, I feel like people don't have to be killing themselves and think I have to, yeah. you know, I want to get healthy. I have to, what it's 90% exercise. And then I just eat whatever because I'll work it off and all that. That's completely uh, backwards and something I've come to realize recently. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think about exercise in terms of the uh, flexibility, resilience mm -hmm. is a good way. So it's my strength. Yeah. That kind of stuff comes from exercise. You don't just have a good mm -hmm. diet and be strong and resilient. So I like right. all that. And a couple of things you mentioned that I wanted to ask you about were uh, about intermittent, intermittent fasting or fasting mm -hmm. in general. However, mm -hmm. that I didn't know, I didn't really hear you uh, anything that you mentioned that until now. And I was like, oh, good. He does, he does uh, do that. <laughs> Um, because I wondered if it was just eat a lot, but just don't eat a lot of sugar and do whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I was curious about that. And then mindfulness. You already mentioned a lot about that, I think. Maybe. Uh, yeah. So what about, how do you think about fasting in general? And tell us about it. Um, I love fasting. And it, it's because fasting is such a mental game because it's not really as much physical as you would think. Um, it's more mental because you keep thinking about food. And I think that, that those thoughts that you get about food are more about filling a void. Like you fill that void. So I think that fasting really gives me an opportunity to sort of breathe into some of the things that, you know, that I'm trying to fill, you know, like these voids that I'm trying to fill, um, you know, and it's like, and it helps you shift your sort of your consciousness about food from uh, living to eat to eating to live. And you find that when you don't, when you, you're not consuming a bunch of food and constantly mindlessly munching, um, you know, you find that it's like you use food for like to, 
like you would cigarettes or anything else. It's like it's an addictive thing to like pop a little something into your mouth, eat a little bar, drink this, do that. Um, but if you're just drinking water and you're just being mindful of what's going on in your body, there's like, I mean, hunger is such a teacher. Like I, I just, yeah, I mean, fasting is probably one of my favorite things to do because a lot of stuff comes up for me and my energy level just goes through the roof. Yeah, it's hard to tell people about it because it's very, there's a lot of fear surrounding it and I understand it. I, I, I was there and uh, I'm not there anymore, but I was there and I get it all, but it's really hard to communicate to people that you, it, it is, it is about the mind, but I also find it is somewhat physical in that once your hormones do change for a bit, they mm -hmm. kind of tell you you're not that hungry. Like, and I don't struggle. It's not like I'm struggling every time going, I want to, but I know this is good. For no, it's just, I don't care. Right. It, yeah. Most of the time. So it's kind of that. Um, yeah, I had uh, one Facebook friend put it a very good way. It start, you started making me think of that quote she had was, um, she was just early getting into it and then said, I now start to think that I, maybe I've never been hungry in my life. I've only had cravings. And I thought, oh. that's, is that pretty good? And I thought, yeah. that's, that describes what I, I like that. So I started using it now um, yeah. from her. So that's, that's great. And I feel like that. I just, you're trying to fill a void with it. Not that you need it, not, well, I'm, but I'm hungry. I have to. So it's a, it's a big subject. Um, we, I don't know if we'll go all into it, but that, that's a good lead into the idea that sure. it is something that's very, uh, has a lot of benefits more than just, uh, you know, you're going to lose weight or something and, and you have to starve to lose. It's not even about starving. It's about other things. It's not, it's about. It's, yeah. it's about, it's about letting your body go into autophagy. And so uh, I would say that the, the, the most, the biggest health benefit that you get from, from fasting is when you're getting into your third and fourth day. So your body goes into autophagy. And what autophagy is, is where your body starts killing off or these cells, your cells go into, um, into a state of, you know, where they're, where they're just dying off. Like a cell says, hey, I'm not serving the body anymore, and now it's time for me to go. And your body only goes into this, into autophagy, when, when you're fasted. When the body says, hey, I need to kick into survival mode, and part of my kicking into survival mode means let's get rid of this luggage. And I mean, that the problem with, you know, I think with modern man is that we never go hungry and we don't fast. And so our bodies never go into autophagy and we continue to build up all of these cells that really aren't serving us. Like, they're not functioning at 100% and we need to get rid of them to make space for these new cells, you know, that are going to be functioning at 100%. And I would say that that is hands down, without a question, the biggest benefit that you get from fasting is, is autophagy. And I would suggest if you are interested in it, just Google autophagy and really, you know, really drill down into the health benefits from it. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it's a reset for you. You know, you're getting rid of the cells, you're resetting your hormones, you know, you're basically getting a new body. And if you can just do that once a quarter for five days, you know, go without food and have a new body, I would say that that juice is worth the squeeze. Very much. Well, that's very exciting because I've never heard of that term, yet mm. I seem to understand what you're talking about as you go. It, it just jives with my experience. So mm -hmm. um, I find if I don't feel well, the best thing I can do is don't eat for a while. Like you, it just, yeah. just don't eat. It's not like people think, oh, what should I eat to feel better? It's quite the opposite for me. But um, I, I think that's a great, great way to go out on it. Go, uh, it was autophagy, was it? Yeah, autophagy, and and there's these T-shirts, and I love this T-shirt because I was at the metabolic health summit. I was at the metabolic uh, health summit like in February. It was like right before everything got shut down, and this guy had this shirt that said "Autophagy sells itself," but the cell was spelled C E L L, and I was just like, yeah. And it's basically your body just kind of recycling and getting rid of these dead cells. And it's like even when you look at like uh, keto, right? When you look at keto and your brain functioning, you know, with your brain functioning on fats instead of, um, you know, instead of sugars, like a lot of the neurodegenerative diseases, you know, like, uh, like Alzheimer's and dementia. I mean, those are a function that they're all now referring to is diabetes type three. So what is happening is you're not allowing your body to go into autophagy or a, 
or fasted state because what when that happens you get this thing at night when you're dreaming you know and when you're sleeping you get a cerebral flush and so the cerebral flush actually flushes away like all of this uh you know these the ash left behind from uh peptides or proteins that your that your brain functions on and so you know if you're in a fasted state or your body doesn't have a bunch of glucose in it like from drinking sugar and and consuming sugary stuff, your body will actually go into that cerebral flush. And in the middle of the night, it'll flush all of those. Um, it'll flush all of that, those ash and that, and those, those used up proteins out of your, you know, out of your brain, brain cavity. Um, if you don't do it, you know, and you don't allow your body to go into a fasted state, those continue to build up. Like it builds up and it starts building this plaque on your brain. Um, like, uh, Lewy body plaque is what causes dementia and uh, amyloidal plaque is what causes Alzheimer's. And that builds, that plaque builds up on your brain and it's unable to have that connectivity that it needs. And, you know, the, the you can see, you know, with people that have neurodegenerative disease, the impact that it has. So that's one of the things too, that I love about fasting and keto. Wow. Well, you're giving me all the Technical and expert uh, things that sciencey stuff, sciencey stuff to describe what I've what I experienced, but don't really nice. articulate in in a great way. And I obviously definitely have to educate myself more on it. Um, it's way worth looking into. Um, let's move into. I, I want to ask you about you created a guy gone keto condiments. <laughs> How are these condiments different or unique? Well, um, they're keto friendly. So the reason I created those, so I wrote the book, Guy Gone Keto. And then, you know, so I was really immersed myself into a keto, uh, keto lifestyle. And what I found is that I couldn't have ketchup because ketchup has more sugar than ice cream. And so is that right? I mean, I definitely don't have it. Often I don't yeah. like stay away because of, because I'm scared of it, but I didn't think it was <laughs> worse than ice cream. So please, well, sorry. it has more sugar than ice cream, and so wow. when you look at barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce also has more sugar than ice cream. So when you look at all this variety of different condiments that we usually use, most of them have like you know more or as much sugar as ice cream. So when you look at like, well, I'm going to have a hamburger and let's put some ketchup on it. It's basically, you just put a Snickers bar on top of your, you know, on top of your hamburger. Oh, no. or you, and then so, but what I found is that I craved those things. Like I craved to have barbecue and I craved teriyaki and like all these different sauces. And so I just actually got in my lab and I started making them. And I cut out all the sugar. I added healthy fats, you know, to it with MCT oil. And I ended up with these really, what I found to be really delicious, like ketchup and barbecue and teriyaki and sweet chili sauce and steak sauce. And they all have no sugar. And they all like have, have fall into keto supportive um, nutritionals. And I was just using them. And then I'd share them with people and they were like, these are great. You should you should sell these, which is ridiculous because that's what I do, but I never thought of selling my own sauces. It, so. Really? It never, and even in the beginning, it didn't occur to you that if I can figure this out, it I can sell it. Did. Wow. It just never did. To have I ketchup. Up and yeah, I sauce. just wanted ketchup. And then, you know, at that point I was like, you know what? Yeah, this would be a good idea. And so we bottled them up and then it was, it just was crazy. People are like, this is amazing. This is delicious. I can have ketchup again. And then the brand started to take off and now we're adding a bunch of new products and it's, it's a lot of fun for me. Excellent. You, you mentioned you wrote a book, Guy Gone Keto. Yeah. Which came first, the book or the condiments? The, the, the book. So the book was kind of this, it, it started out as a journal. So I, I sort of like, I, you know, as any food and sugar addict, you know, or any addict, they eventually bought them out. And so I was in Las Vegas and went to dinner with, um, with one of our vendors and they were buying. So I was having steak. I was going to have a potato, cake, wine, you know, whatever was free. And yeah. so I just got super full, got back to my hotel in, um, in Vegas at the Luxor, the one that's shaped like a pyramid. But I think that it, it just, the room just reeked. It reeked of like stale alcohol and broken dreams. And I just was like, oh my God. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, at that point, it's like I was carrying about 35 pounds 
of extra weight, um, which wasn't, you know, which wasn't terrible. I'm six two, so I can carry it without people looking at me and going like, wow, that guy's fat. Um, for you, six two in here. (laughs) But there was, but the thing is, is like, I afternoon naps, like by the afternoon, I I was exhausted. My blood pressure was through the roof. And I just hit that point to where I would say that the pleasure, I would say that the pain of who I was and what I was looking in in the mirror and how I felt, that pain exceeded the pleasure that I was getting from eating the crappy food. And so, I mean, I've always been big in journaling. So I just cracked open the journal and I started writing down like, okay, how am I going to change my lifestyle? What are the things that I'm going to incorporate? You know, what are these hard stops that I'm going to make? Um, You know, so I started writing it down. And after a year, I had basically a book and a friend of mine knew a publisher and I'm like, hey, do you think I can get hooked up with this publisher? Showed him the book and I'm like, yeah, this is a book about keto that I sort of wrote longhand. And they're like, oh my God, this is really great. And so I worked with an editor and a year later I had the book, which is cool. And then, you know, during that time I was making condiments that I could eat. So it all came together sort of serendipitously. Wow. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Um, You say this one that you aren't doing well unless you're also doing good. I love the sound of it. Can you elaborate please? Well, I can tell you when I've done things for money. You know, and I'm like, oh, I can make a lot of money doing that or just trying to cut corners that it, it, it ends up costing you time and it ends up costing you like reputation and just, it, I mean, it always turns out to be a big bag of crap. And I, I mean, I built my company on the, the principles of Dr. Edwards Deming and he had the saying that quality always costs less. And so I've always pondered that. And, you know, and I, so I started thinking about, you know, what I wanted to do with my company and like, did I want to build a company just to make money? Like, oh, I'm going to make money. Um, and that just never resonated with me. So I, everything that, you know, everything that I've done with my businesses and, and you know, with products that I develop is how does this product serve the community? You know, what good does this product do? And every time that I've leaned into doing something that was right and doing something that was good, um, you know, I've always gotten a, an amazing return from it. And sometimes that return is is money, which is which is great because money buys you a little bit of freedom. But mostly, what it gives you is this deep sense of satisfaction that you have brought something good into the world. And so that has just always been my philosophy that you know you're you're not doing well unless you're also doing good. Wow, there's so much in there that I it occurs to me, and I won't uh, I won't go there, but I'm very much on board. When I first read that, what it did occur to me, I'll tell you, is um, the story of Steve Jobs uh, mm. pitching John Scully to come from Pepsi. And I remember mm-hmm. John Scully in the documentary. I don't remember the whole pitch, or whatever, but the but the one quote he said was, "Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to change the world?" Right? Yep. And that's what, and, and I think like, I'd be like, I want to get on, I, you know, Pepsi is a good product. Fine. It can be refreshing in a, in a very limited context, but I wouldn't want to, you know, if you're in business, I think a proper goal is to maximize profit. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So you're trying to sell as much as possible. And I wouldn't want to try to sell Pepsi, you know, as much as possible. I want to sell things that I think are helping people. So that's what I read when I, when I read that quote and I thought, I love the sound of that and how you did is, a whole other way I think about it too that I'm really on board with, but uh, we'll move on. Um, if, if you're doing good, so if you, how about this? If you say you, um, we, we have to also be doing good, do we have to get clear on what is the good? So like what I mean is what if people don't know what's good? For example, years ago, people were advocating and selling low fat, anything kind of whatever the government said healthy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you think about it, but the food pyramid, I think contributed to the diabetes epidemic you described. hundred percent. Okay, then good. I just didn't want to say yeah, put words 100%. in your mouth. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people think they're doing good with poisonous ideas. So how do we, how do we, I guess, do we have to get clear on what is the good before we go all in or are people? You have to know your question is. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do. And it's knowing your why. You know, and that's the thing, like knowing your why, like if you, if you read anything, you know, or, or listen to anything by Simon Sinek, I mean, that guy is like a, a 
just beautiful in his philosophies of leadership and knowing why you're doing something. And I think that, you know, if you're looking to get into a business, start a business, or if you're already in a business, you need to know your why. Like, why am I doing this? Like, am I doing this to make the world a better place? Am I doing this to make money? And if I'm looking to make money, why? Why do I need that money? Do I need the money because I want to have a bigger house and a better car? Or do I want this money because I want to create a foundation, you know, to make the world a better place? So that's when you need to look inside your heart, right? And that's when you need to understand your why. And that is another onion that you can just peel away the layers for, for a lifetime of like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I this way? Why do I want this? Why do I need this? So, I mean, understanding your why is I think critical to, you know, to your success, to your well being, and actually living a life where you can leave behind a positive legacy. Yes. And I think in order to do that, I want to just add, I think you have to understand your why and discover whether your why corresponds with reality. Like, is it true? Like, you know, if I say, well, my why is I'm down with low fat, no matter what, like, that's what it is. That's what it means. I mean, you really have to work, think hard about, is it actually helping my life and will it help other people's lives? I think as well. And then, so constantly ask that why as an onion, as you said, as deep as you can. Well, and, and understanding what, and understanding what you're doing too, because like when you, you know, when you brought up the fact that, you know, that, Hey, do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life? Or do you want to change the world? I mean, somebody who's selling sugar water may not, you know, find any sort of moral turpitude in, in doing that. They might just be perfectly fine with it. But if you really take a good hard look at what you're doing, you know, is it making a positive impact on life, on people's lives, or is it making a negative impact on people's lives? And when you look at like, well, our, our, our philosophy and our knowledge about nutrition has changed over the years, right? Like it used to be like, hey, sugar gives you energy and hey, fat makes you fat. But that philosophy was really like, I mean, there was a New York Times article that was written about four years ago that exposed the sugar industry that they hired scientists to actually write these articles that vilified fat and made sugar sound like it was, you know, it was fine for you to have. And that was back in the 60s. And that was sort of the genesis of, you know, adding sugar to, to products. And, and I mean, if you really want to take that down a deeper rabbit hole, it's like when you look, because I get asked this a lot. It's like, well, do food companies, is it, do food companies put sugar in, in their food to, to get us addicted? And I get, asked, I get asked that so much. And I'm like, no, no, that's ridiculous. Companies don't do things, you know, maliciously like that to get people addicted, except for maybe tobacco, um, to get people to, addicted to their food. It's like the function, the, the problem, the, why, the reason why there's so much sugar in food is because sugar is cheap. Like sugar costs 15 cents a pound if you're buying enough of it, right? And sugar is also subsidized, which means that the government actually pays sugar makers to, to make sugar and to make sure that they're making a profit on it. So a subsidized crop is a super cheap crop. And so when you go to a company that makes ketchup, right, and you say, hey, I've got an idea of how we can – make your cost of goods sold or your cost of what your product is, how we could save you 75%. I'm, most companies that are owned publicly owned are going to be like, we're all ears. Tell me what this is. Well, if you add sugar, right, which is very bulky, you can replace tomatoes. So you're going to replace tomatoes. You're going to add, you know, 70% sugar. You're going to add some tomatoes. So you have the flavor. Then you're going to add salt. And now you've got something that tastes similar to what your ketchup tasted before, but now it's costing you half as much. So that is why there's so much sugar in food is because it is so cheap to put into food. All right. Well, that is all <laughs> something. Uh, I want to ask you, move into maybe more general ideas about entrepreneurship. So okay. um, maybe what are, um, well, actually, sorry, be before that, though, I, I would actually uh, wonder what the future is of a guy gone keto. What do you, what, what's your vision for it soon? Do you have any plans? I do. I'm going to probably write three, four more books in that keto sort of universe. Um, and I plan on, on expanding my product line into probably 20 or 30 new SKUs. 
So I'm going to keep developing products and the products that I develop. I mean, I just develop them for myself and they seem to make sense. So some of them will work. Some of them won't, but I'll just keep developing products and the ones that stick stick and the ones that don't will discontinue them. All right. Well, that's great. So as I said, I want to go into more general entrepreneurship. What are one or two skill sets that have helped you succeed in growing your business and doing all what you've done? Um, determination, I would say is the biggest factor, like be determined about what you're going to do, set your intention and be persistent. And I think that, um, a lot of people will give up, they'll hit a wall and they'll be like, uh, and that's the thing that you really, really need to, to get over. Like, you know, when you hit a wall, it doesn't mean stop. What it means is go over, go under, go around. And if you have to go through, but that's where the, your determination comes in and, and don't give up. Like, I mean, if you have an idea, you know, you may need to pivot on your action plan. Um, and you may even need to change your goal somewhat, but don't give up. Just keep pushing ahead and do the hard work. All right. It seems to me that this would be very helpful to be clear on your why, because if you really committed to this is good, mm-hmm. then you're more likely to push through. But if you're kind of more mm-hmm. into something because it sounds like a good idea that probably will make some money and you hit a wall, you'd probably be like, eh, it's probably easier to give up. I would yeah. Or move on to the next thing. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, if you really believe in what you're doing and you believe that what you're doing is good and right, and you can see that people are benefiting from it and it's making the world a better place, mm-hmm. then yeah, then don't give up. You keep doing what you're doing and eventually success will find you. All right. Um, you say that uh, you're a serial entrepreneur, right? So <laughs> h- how does that work? And uh, how much do you have to do you stay involved in the business that you focus less on as you, you know, move into the new one? And is that, that looks too much to delegation? <laughs> okay. Too much. Yeah, I delegate a lot. Like, I mean, the one thing that helps me so much is I have an amazing absolutely amazing woman who works with me. Her name's Myra. She, she handles my calendar and I was dealing with Myra. Excellent. Myra. Yeah. Myra is, is fantastic. And if you, if you are juggling a lot of, a lot of different enterprises, you have to have somebody manage your, your calendar because you, you're blocking your day out in literally 15 minute increments. And so to have somebody be able to manage your calendar and plug these things in makes you super efficient. Um, but going back to being an entrepreneur, so yeah, my heart and my soul is in being an entrepreneur. Right now, I'm the CEO of my company and I am really working on trying to replace myself because I miss being an entrepreneur. Like I love to create, I love to create new products. I love to find new whys. I like to find new ways to contribute and ways to create a legacy. So um, that's, that's a tough one for me because yeah, I'm the CEO of the company and I, it's, I would compare it to um, herding cats. So I herd cats every day when I really want to create like new products and and new ideas and innovate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be tough to delegate to find somebody who can fill that role for you because they probably have to have some, at least share a vision. So, I mean, to, mm-hmm. to share it and have somebody appreciate that. I don't know. Well, good luck with that. I hope so. So well, you can get you. back to being what you love doing an entrepreneur. Um, what, what is something you're most proud of or that you find most meaningful in your work in, in your business? That that's a great question. Yeah, I would say the thing that I find most meaningful, I would say the thing that I find most meaningful in my business is when, you know, I have an employee that I bring into bring into the family. And I literally, after a year, don't even recognize who that person is because they have changed and grown so much. So I would say the greatest satisfaction that I derive from my businesses is watching people grow and watching people develop and becoming more than what they were when they started. Fantastic. Uh, What general advice do you have for people who want to be entrepreneurs? And I know, know you mentioned why. already the couple of skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know your why. I mean, know, know your why. Find, find something that you're passionate about. Find something that you believe in um, and know why you're doing it and, and remind yourself every single day. Um, another thing that I would also, you know, that you just embed and tattoo into your brain is think it and ink it. 
it means write it down. So like a good intention, like, I mean, so a goal like not written down is just a good intention. And so if you write a goal down, I mean, I mean, I do this with every facet of my life. So you set an intention, you know, you, you describe what that outcome is, you create an action plan of how you're going to get there. And it's a quantifiable action plan, like with dates and what you're going to do. And then you execute and then you observe the results and you're, you're not emotionally attached to it. You're not emotionally attached to the outcome, but you examine what those results are and then you tweak your action plan. And if you just do that and you know your why and you know the outcome that you want to reach, you'll reach it. Got it. All right. I wonder if there's just anybody now you've, you've come to discover a lot of things on your own, right? You're self-educated, dive into whatever you're doing. Um, but what are some of your other influences? I saw some great book selections shared on your website. What are some of your influences? Well, I mean, books, definitely. I mean, I love to, to fill my mind with like science and, and things like that. Um, I would say that the things though that are really more interesting to me now are more on the creative side, like, and, and creative disciplines, if you will. So like, I really started getting into um, bonsai plants, you know, because bonsai plants, yeah, because bonsai, like bonsai trees, they're, that is, they take so long. It's a, it's something that you cultivate for years. And I think that it's super reflective of, um, I think it's super reflective of just how life is, you know, that you're constantly grooming and tweaking, you know, and in the, and there really is no end. It just means that you've groomed and, and trimmed this beautiful tree that, you know, that you can look at, but it's really representative of, of how life is, you know, the grooming, the adjusting, you know, and the blossoming. Um, that's one thing that I really, you know, that I've gotten into. I would say another thing that was really amazing for me through the winter was I got into, um, Kintsugi and Kintsugi is where, you know, you have a pot and you break it and then you put that pot back together using gold. And it's, it's amazing because I think the lesson for me out of it is finding the, the perfection in imperfection and also finding that things that have been broken are probably the most beautiful things. And the areas that have been broken are now stronger than, you know, than the rest of the, the whole. So Kintsugi is like, I don't know. I got a little obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah. I, this is the second time I've heard something about that, this perfection oh. in, in imperfection recently. It, 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 it's nice. very new to me. So it's something I'm start, if I'm hearing it from you now, too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I like what you're about. So I'm thinking, geez, okay, there might be something in this. So start breaking some pots, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go break all my pots and my wife will love it. But all right. Um, maybe I'll put tie these two together. Who do you admire? Why? And how important are role models? Um, well, I think that role models are extremely important and, you know, I would say that, that my greatest role model, um, was my grandfather and, you know, I would say that the reason that my grandfather, the, so my grandfather was not a rich man. He wasn't even an entrepreneur. He was a truck driver and he had decided that he was going to retire when he was 50 years old. And so he saved up a bunch of money. He had a Christmas tree farm. And, but my grandfather was like the best man that I knew. And he was, he embodied integrity. Like his word was his bond. And those are the things that I think, you know, that made him, that made him like a warrior, you know, like and his sensitivity and the love that he, you know, that he would give to people. Like, I mean, I think that, that, probably the most courageous thing that another person can do is to love another person openly. And, you know, he was really good, good with that. And you could count on him a hundred percent. And I used to just be mesmerized by watching him like make a salad because he was not distracted. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't talking, he wasn't listening to the, the radio or watching the TV. He was actually 
making the salad. He embodied that whole process and he was present with it. And his level of presence, like being present in the moment is something that I was just always impressed with. And, you know, and I remember, you know, he lived to be 98 years old and, and I'm like, I want that too. And yeah. I, and I remember asking him, you know, I'm like, you know, what's your secret? You know, what's your secret? And he's, and, and do you have any regrets? And he said, yeah, I work too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is, it's fabulous. That whole thing. And integrity is a big one, big one of my oh, yeah. concepts and, and presence that occurred to me. And then you said presence uh, because I, you know, I tell people life's happening now. It's not something you're trying it to is. get to, and then you'll be happy when you get there. Well, and that's the thing that, that the human mind is just like, you go into the, the limbic brain of fear, you know, like the, the, the flight, fight, flight, or, or freeze, um, you go into that mode and it's, you know, and, and one thing that I love to work through is fear, right? Because fear is like, well, you get afraid to take a risk or you get afraid to say something, or you have a fear of what people might think of you, Right. Um, you know, what are people thinking and what are their opinions? And so people are always like hung up in this fear. But the thing about fear is fear is in the future. Like you don't feel fear in the present. Like you're just dealing with things, you know, but it's like, you know, the thing that fear is like, you worry about what's going to happen. Like, oh, what if this happens? And that triggers fear. And so fear is future-based and it steals your present. And so if you can eliminate fear out of your life and you can live firmly in the present, you don't have any fear and anxiety. Wow. And, you know, I don't want to detract from all this, like this deep and great content here, but I just want to throw in something for a lot of fun. I noticed uh, on your musical ones that you like my morning jacket. Oh. And, and I was, uh, and I said to my wife, I was like, check it out. This guy loves MMJ and, you know, and a, a lot of other ones you mentioned uh, I like, and, but I haven't listened to them in, in, in a long time, but my morning jacket plays regularly in our house. I just wonder if you would could articulate why you like my morning jacket just for personal, my personal indulgence and fun. Well, I mean, Jim James or Yim Yames, however he wants to call himself now. Oh, was he doing that? Okay. He did it for a minute. And so Jim James, I mean, I, I just think that he's such an artist. I mean, he's so talented in his lyrics and I just, and he also has a way of helping other artists out. Like he's always trying to, you know, to promote music and he's trying to help, you know, struggling artists and beginning artists. And I would have to say the thing that cemented my, my, my love for my morning jacket was when I saw him at Red Rocks in Colorado, which is if you, if it's gotta be on your bucket list, like if you love music, you must see a band that you love at Red Rocks because it becomes almost like a religious experience. And I saw, um, I saw my morning jacket with band of horses at, at Red Rocks. And it was literally like one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was just, the setting was beautiful. The music was, was beautiful. The bands both played together, you know, for, for a couple songs. And yeah, after that, it's just like, it's the lyrics, it's the motion, it's the music. Love it. Yeah, I'm down with all that in our house. And I even have it all on my exercise playlist running or whatever. It just carries me sometimes in lyrics. Oh, too. Yeah. It feeds me. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, well, just just almost uh, through with a couple and back to something a little more. Uh, it's I don't think, I don't discount that. I don't think music is unimportant at all. I just thought that it was a little bit less than uh, what people might think <laughs> is a you know big question. But a couple of those. Um, to what do you uh, attribute your success? How much would you say anything to, is it to do with struggle at all? I just wonder about that word people uh, or what, how, what would you attribute your success to? Do you well, I mean, struggles, like struggles, a great teacher, you know, and I think pain is a great teacher. Okay. Um, I think the willingness to, to continually be comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know, because you're constantly trying to push yourself, but, I, I mean, I honestly have to attribute the majority of my success to my mom, you know, because I, I was lazy. Like when I was a, when I was a teenager, I was, I, I couldn't keep a job. I was just lazy. I just wouldn't work and I couldn't get into a job. At I mean, and had struggled with school. And so my first job, you know, like 
I would say that my first sort of real job is that, you know, I, I actually was at my parents' house laying on the couch, having my mom do my laundry. This is when I was in college and, yes. and eating out of the refrigerator and just being a slothful. And somebody knocked on my mom's door or my parents' door and it was a process server. He was serving legal papers and he served legal, legal papers on my mom because my dad had a business and one of his employees was getting his garnishes wages or his wages garnished. <laughs> and, and I was fascinated by it. I was like, whoa, hey, what are you, a sheriff? And he's like, no, I'm a process server. I'm like, what, what, do you have to have a license for this? No, no, I just, you know, have this private investigator's license. And I was like, how do you do that? I, I need to know about this. And so I asked him, I'm like, can I ride with you? And he's like, yeah, weirdo, you can ride with me. And so I rode with him and I was like, hey, um, do you need any help? Because I'm looking for a job. And I worked with this guy like, all summer, like he decided just to sit around and smoke pot. And I decided that I was going to serve legal papers on people all summer long and make a ton of money so I could afford to go back to school and actually get an apartment and things like that. So I did. And at the end of the summer, he owed me about $20,000, which would have been part of my tuition. And I would have been able to have a place to stay. And instead, what happened is when I went to collect a check, he said, I, I don't have the money. I spent it all on pot and cocaine. And I was like, what? And I, I went home and I was just, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I didn't have gas money. I had no money. And, you know, my mom was there and I'm like, you know, I feel like such a fool. I feel like such a failure. It's like, I trusted this guy. I worked my butt off all, all summer long and I have nothing to show for it. And my mom told me, she said, you know, his customers his law, the lawyers that he works for, you know, how to run his business. It's like, why don't you just go to them and start your own business? And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. And she's like, well, your father did it. Your grandfather did it. Your grandfather, great grandfather did it. And I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't in, in my realm of possibility that I could do that. And my mom said, for you, the sky's the limit. And that was the name of my first business was STL services. So my mom in that moment, it was so pivotal. That's when I started my first business. And that is sort of what sparked, I guess you'd say it was the catalyst that really started me on fire for being an entrepreneur. So while, you know, people's mothers may not think that they have a big impact on their sons, my mom most most definitely did. And I can attribute, I wouldn't be sitting where I am right now if it wasn't for her. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a fantastic story. <laughs> I, mean, I think somebody ought to serve that guy up some papers, that guy who left you, didn't give you your, his money. Um, I'll tell you, there's lots implied in that story and everything. Just to wrap it up, tie it together. Can you give us a, for the broad question, how does one maximize the human experience? And that's an expression I think I've seen of yours in your website. Yeah. Well, maximizing the human experience is by being present in what you do. And that is really, I mean, that is the key is to find your, find your presence and be grounded in the moment because that is when you see the beauty of life unfold in front of you. And that, and if you're present, you live fearlessly. And so I would say that if you're maximizing the, the human experience, it's all about being present. It's all about you know, having your feet on the ground, being grounded and not having, you know, one foot in the future and one foot in the past. It's being here right now. And that is how life will bloom and unfold for you. Wow. Thank you very much for that. That's how I think about it too, but not quite like that. That's beautiful. Um, before, um, before I just ask people, ask you where people can find you, uh, is there anything else that you, that I didn't ask you, you wish I had, or that you want to bring up that was missed? No, I can't think of anything. Okay, great. You got all the secrets. Pardon me? You got all the secrets. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and, to, and before I do that, uh, just to listeners, I've read on Tom's uh, website, he believes that one of the most important success principles in life and business is a willingness to help others by sharing your accumulated knowledge, experience, and expertise. 
So with that, please share this interview. Um, it doesn't always have to be your own expertise, right? There's lots of gold in here. Um, and if you can, there's, there's lots of great content out there. And, and in this interview, there is. So you can um, have someone else speak for you. So share this with one or two people who you think uh, will benefit from you and find some value in it. Um, and of course, as you're listening to all this, obviously some questions are occurring to you that I didn't ask. So ask a question. Ask, uh, you can ask right in the comments section, wherever you consume. You can also go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. Ask a question there. I'll make sure it gets redirected to Tom if it's directed at him, which it likely is. Nobody's asking me anything. All right. Um, Tom, where should people go if they want to uh, connect with you directly and learn more about you and your work? Well, if they really want to connect with me directly, they can find me fly fishing on the Deschutes River in Oregon. Um, if they want to virtually find me, I think that um, they can go to Icon Foods, um, IconFoods.com. That's where you can see sort of the like, the inner workings and the mad science that goes on um, behind the, our food ingredient company. Um, if you want to know more about Gaigon Keto, just go to GaigonKeto.com. If you want to reach out to me on any of the socials, all of the socials, Gaigon Keto, um, hit me up, DM me. I'm, I'm here. I'm a real person. Wow. Well, Tom, thanks. So it's talking to people like you that, that got me into this and <laughs> you just, uh, you know, making it, uh, you know, I just enjoy this so much. So thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, Matthew is my pleasure. I love the questions and, and keep doing what you're doing. It's super important. Oh, great. Thank you. And to listeners, one more thing, just listen to what Tom's saying, get educated about nutrition. Our diet has an enormous influence on our ability to enjoy a long life of health and happiness. And with that, Uh, as I heard you in something else, is learning to say no uh, sometimes. So learn to say no to things that keep you from saying yes to your most passionate whys and maximize your own human experience, inspiring others to do the same. And I'll see you guys next time. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side.